Excuse me, boys. What's going on here? It's the classic guitar rock podcast. This sucks more than anything that I've ever sucked before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this could be a really positive experience for you guys. I wish you could just shut your big yapper. I don't think there's anybody back there. I'm here to tell you all that life as you know it has ended. Well, there's your problem right there, Vern. You see that little wire right there? Hello again, everyone. It's good to have you with us for this event. It figures to be an exceptional one, one that doesn't need any buildup. Up there in the wild blue yonder, I'm known as the Gray Eagle. And this is my co-pilot. That's right. I'm known as the Brown Pigeon. Captain the Bridge. Spock here. Any signs of life? Negative. I gotta tell you, fellas, you have got what appears to be a dynamite sound. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Here, ready to move up. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other and all points in between, the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your host, Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. It's been a while. <laughs> I'm Jeremy, just going solo today. We will be hooking up with John here for our next episode. Still working some things out, guys. You know, YouTube is... I've got the podcast, i got the YouTube channel, and they work at cross-purposes, <laughs> I tried to, as much as possible, get the podcast on YouTube, but you run into issues. I mean, just goofy stuff like bumper music, right? You play bumper music on your podcast, then you get dinged if you try and just run the bumper music on YouTube. And so basically what you got to do, you got to do two different versions of your podcast, one to be published on all the podcast platforms one to go just on YouTube. So if you if you play just a recording of your podcast, if you have any kind of music on it, you're going to get dinged. So you can't monetize it uh on YouTube. And and it's just it's just kind of hokey having to do both. So what I'm trying to do now is I'll record my podcast in StreamYard which the nice thing about that is then you got a video and then you can download a separate audio and then I'll use that to make my audio podcast. So what you see on YouTube won't have all the audio elements you'd usually have if you're listening to the podcast, but some people want to watch it, you know, and, and YouTube is, is easier for them to check out the podcast. So we want to have it available in both formats. So that's why if you if you follow the YouTube channel, you'll notice I'm trying to I've got this huge backlog of episodes that I'm 
slowly uploading to YouTube. I can't monetize those because they've got music in them. Uh, but moving forward, what I'll be doing is I'll record it in video like this, and then I can use this file to make my audio podcast. And it's it's just a nightmare. It's such a struggle. It's such a struggle. <laughs> but hey, uh, it's been a while since we've gotten together, and I want to thank you all who have been listening to the podcast or who have been supporting the YouTube channel. I really, really appreciate it. We continue to grow, uh, add, you know, more folks are listening and downloading the podcast. The YouTube channel slowly but surely is is growing, and I really appreciate it. I wanted to get together today to talk about an album that, I'm just going to be honest, it's not one of my favorite albums. I don't think it's that great of an album. I mean, it's an okay album, but it's very, very important one of the most important albums of the 80s. And I want to get into that conversation. Uh, we're talking, of course, about Quiet Riot's Metal Health album that came out in 1983. That will be the topic of our conversation. And we will get into that right after this brief message. basement can be a lonely place. Hello? Hello? Is anyone in here? Yet, at the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, the basement is all that Jeremy and John have. Their wives don't want them geeking out on classic rock in the living room. Can you blame them? But you can help. For as little as $3 a month, you can become a supporter on Patreon join today and end the cycle visit patreon.com slash classic guitar rock they'll still be in the basement but at least it's not your basement hello is anyone in here When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If it's too loud, you're too old. Well, let's be honest, you're probably too old anyway. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy Lennon and uh, going solo today on today's episode. And as promised, our topic of conversation is the 1983 album from Quiet Riot, Metal Health. And I, I mentioned in the very beginning that I, it's not one of my favorite albums. It's okay. I bought it. I played it a lot. Um, but it's definitely not, in my mind, one of the great albums of the 80s. 
but I do think it's one of the most important albums of the eighties. And, and we're going to talk about that. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. So you can email us classic guitar rocket mail.com. Um, and, and let us know what you're thinking. So first of all, let's talk about quiet riot. Normally the conversation about quiet riot revolves around Randy Rhodes. Rightly so. Okay. We all know about Randy Rhodes, his work with Ozzy Osbourne, his tragic death at the age of 25. He is still revered as one of the great metal guitarists, inspired a lot of people, a uh, lot of guitarists, and it just, you know, had a, this cool image and an iconic character. And one of the great musical tragedies, uh, those folks that, that died too young. And, you know, it's sad anytime you lose an artist. Um, but I think it's especially sad when he died in a plane crash, right? It, he didn't die from a drug overdose. He didn't die. Not that that makes it any less tragic, but, but you know, he was, it was completely out of his hands, right? And to me, that makes it a little more sad. Obviously, the loss of Jimi Hendrix, of Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin. Those are all tragedies, even those were those those were drug or alcohol related. Still sad, but Randy Rhodes was in an airplane, you know, was just going for an airplane ride, had nothing to do with him, and he tragically passed away back in 1982. But uh, the Quiet Riot story does start with Randy. Uh, Randy and his friend and bass player Kelly Garney had a band back in the 70s, 1973, they had a band called Mach 1. And then eventually they changed the, that band to Little Women. <laughs> That's kind of a clever name. And throughout that that uh, uh, time frame, uh, by the way, they eventually changed their name to Quiet Riot uh, in 1975. So for the first two years, they were either Mach one or little women. And then finally they, um, landed on the name quiet, Riot, And that name came from, there's a quote from, uh, Rick Harfit, who was in status quo, who, um, uh, uh, wanted to name a band quite right. And, they mistakenly heard it as Quiet Riot. Uh, and so they, they took that name, Quiet Riot, uh, as, the, as their name. Now, uh, you got Randy Rhodes. You got Kelly Barney. They have a drummer named Drew Forsyth. Um, Drew had played with Randy in another band called Mildred Pierce. There's a fancy band name for you. So he knew Drew uh, as this drummer. And there's this guy, David, or this guy, Kevin Dubrow, that kind of was always pestering these guys. He wanted to be their singer. And at first, Randy didn't really want him. None of the guys really wanted this guy. He was very, what's the word I can use? Uh, obnoxious <laughs> he had a very big personality and finally they he won him over right and they brought kevin debro in as the singer of this band quiet riot 
And what a lot of folks don't know is in the late 70s, uh, mid 70s, mid to late 70s, Quiet Riot was right up there with Van Halen. Okay, Van Halen hadn't been signed yet. Quiet Riot hadn't been signed. And in the L.A. area, they were right up there. I don't know if they were neck and neck, but they were they were pretty big. You know, you had Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. Those were the two local guitar heroes. Okay. This is pre Sunset Strip. You know what we consider Sunset Strip with all the hair metal bands. This is about five years before all of that. So Quiet Riot was kind of in there along with Van Halen before all of that. And that's really the point of talking about this album. Um, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. But Quiet Riot had developed quite a following locally. Uh, they were playing the same type of circuit that Van Halen was playing. Um, they were doing, you know, a lot of club dates at, at the same clubs, you know, just kind of orbiting the same, the same universe there in Southern California. And Quiet Riot was trying to get a record deal just like Van Halen was. And in fact, Quiet Riot did land a record deal with Sony, but only for the Japan market. So there were two Quiet Riot albums that were that were published and released in Japan. And of course, those are imports, big imports that you can get now. They're some are kind of hard to find now, probably easier to find at least digital, you know, versions of these. Um, and then at the same time, Van Halen is trying to get a record deal. You're probably familiar with the story with Gene Simmons of Kiss, who who produced a demo for them and he let them shop that demo around and they eventually got their record deal with, with Warner brothers. So they were contemporaries of Van Halen. Now let's talk about Van Halen. Once Van Halen was signed. Okay. Van Halen was kind of the last big rock band signed in the seventies, you know, they were signed in 77. Their first album comes out in 78 and, and there wasn't really a hard rock scene in, in Southern California. That was kind of the end of that era. And what was happening in Southern California at the time was new wave skinny ties, you know, and it's interesting to watch interviews uh, from people that live through this, a great interview, uh, Rudy Sarzo, uh, on Rick Beato, he talks about this. And then another interview I saw with, with, uh, Rudy talking about this, but at the time, all the record companies basically was, Hey, you guys want to get Van Halen was the last rock band guys. You guys want to get a contract. Uh, you better get a haircut and get a skinny tie. You know, that was basically the message. So for Southern California, everyone thought, oh, gosh, hard rock is dead. Because think of what's happening. Mid to late 70s, disco comes, and then new wave is coming. And so hard rock wasn't really popular uh, in the late 70s, you know, at least not in Southern California. Okay? Now, at the same time, 
in England, we've got something else going on. Okay, we've been through the punk thing of the mid-70s, and now there's this rumbling going on uh, that, that came to be called the new wave of British heavy metal, late 70s. Okay, so now we're talking Def Leppard. We're talking Iron Maiden, Saxon. Judas Priest, though Judas Priest had been around a little longer, but they absolutely benefited from this new wave of of British metal. So why do I bring all this in? (sighs) Randy Rhodes and Ozzy Osbourne, I think, in my opinion, are kind of transitional figures in the L.A. metal scene happening. Okay, so follow me on this. Here's Randy Rhodes, who's in Quiet Riot, a contemporary of Van Halen. They are a hard rock band. And by the way, Randy Rhodes was not into metal, was not a Black Sabbath fan. You know, Black Sabbath had been around since 1969, so so everyone was aware of Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, right? Deep Purple, all of those bands that that we we consider the the founding fathers of heavy metal. Obviously, Randy Rhodes was aware of all that, but you know what he really liked? He really liked David Bowie. He really liked uh, Alice Cooper. He liked the theatric. He liked the, more the glam rock stuff. And in fact, if you go and look at Mick Ronson, who was David Bowie's guitar player. Mick Ronson was a big influence on Randy. I mean, look look at the two of them. I mean, Randy dressed and looked just like Mick Ronson. Hairstyle, you know. Anyways, that's really where Randy was coming from, more the glam rock type stuff. Uh, so we're all familiar with the uh, story of Randy becoming part of Ozzy's organization, right? Ozzy had been kicked out of Black Sabbath in the late 70s. He's hanging around L.A. And, um, you know, Sharon Arden at the time, this is before she married Ozzy, so Sharon Arden, uh, her job was basically keep Ozzy out of trouble, keep him from ODing, (laughs) basically, right? So he's living at a hotel, and ostensibly the, the, the idea being he's putting together a band. You can go back and listen to our episode on on uh, Blizzard of Oz where we get into this. Gary Moore was helping out with that process to a certain extent. Dana Strum, who was in Slaughter, a bass player, and, and, and for a period actually played with Ozzy later. Uh, he was kind of setting up auditions and introducing Ozzy to different musicians. Well, anyways, go back to that episode to hear that whole story. But Dana convinces Randy to come and audition for Ozzy because Randy wasn't, you know, like I said, wasn't a big Black Sabbath fan, knew who Ozzy was, but, you know, wasn't something he would have pursued on his own. Uh, Dana gets him to audition. Ozzy loves him. To make a long story short, they fly to England, right? Um, Randy was frustrated with Quiet Riot because they had been trying to get signed an American record deal for years and nothing was happening. And so he's figuring, oh, I, I might as well do it, right? So he he auditions, he gets the audition, and, and there are interviews where he's talking to his mom and basically says to his mom, yeah, I, I got the gig. And 
I'm not sure I want to do it. And his mom, his mom, by the way, Dolores Rhodes, owned a, a big music store, Musonia, where I think George Lynch worked. I think Rudy Sarzo worked. They taught lessons there. It was a pretty well-established music store. But she encouraged Randy to take it. You know, she basically said, hey, this guy's big, and this could be a very big opportunity, very good opportunity for you. So he did. He goes. And from everything we see, you know, he and Ozzy hit it off pretty well. He hit it off really well with Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake, the original Blizzard of Oz band. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. Two phenomenal albums, Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman, both in my top 10. I mean, they're just, they're, they're pivotal landmark albums. Okay. They're huge. We know, we know the rest of the story, right? Uh, at some point, uh, it was a uh, really in now, now that we look back and, and, and know the facts, this based on things that, that Bob Daisley has said, Lee, Lee Kerslake has said, people close to the situation knew that Sharon, Sharon thought Bob and Lee were not, um, they were too vocal, right? She wanted, she wanted band members that would just do what she said and they would not do that. So the decision was made to release them and they used some excuse about they couldn't get passports for Bob and Lee or whatever. So they needed to replace them. Okay. So then, and, and the way Blizzard was, it was interesting. They recorded both albums. Both albums were in the can before Ozzy ever toured in the U S. So, uh, the Blizzard album came out in 1980, like September of 80, but it wasn't released in the States until like February of 81. And then Diary came out in November of 81 uh, and was released pretty much simultaneously in the U.S. and England. So in the U.S., basically, we got two two Aussie albums just seven or eight months apart is the way they were released. And both albums were recorded. They'd already done a Blizzard tour in England. So they did a Blizzard tour in the U.S., you know, leading up to the release of Diary of a Madman before they then start a Diary tour in the U.S. But they brought in Rudy Sarzo, who played in Quiet Right with Randy. So it was Randy's recommendation. Let's get if if Bob's got to go, let's get Rudy in. So that was cool. They brought Rudy in that, that made uh, Randy more comfortable with the whole thing. Cause he was not happy when Bob, he had a really good relationship with Bob and Lee. He was not happy. And he, in fact, had told Bob and Lee, he was going to quit. If they, if they fire you, I'm quitting. And Bob both said, no, 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 don't do that. This is good for you to be here. We appreciate, you know, that you want to stick with us, but you need to stay right here. So both Bob and Lee told him that. Randy stayed. They brought Rudy in, which I think helped because here's a friend that Randy now has in the band. And then Tommy Aldridge, Rudy and Tommy are awesome. So nothing against those guys. They were phenomenal, right? If you saw them live, you know, they toured the, the blizzard and diary stuff in the U S with Rudy and Tommy, uh, which is an interesting little note about Rudy. Rudy, more than anyone I can think of, he's on so many albums that he never played on. 
So like the, the, the two Japanese quiet riot albums, I think his pictures on the second one, he never played on it. That was Kelly Garney. Then on um, diary of a madman, he never played on that. That was Bob Daisley, but they put the pictures with Tommy and Rudy on the inner sleeve of the album cover. So it looks like they played, he never played on that album later when white snake came the, the white snake 87 album that Rudy was a member of the band. He never played on that album, but his pictures on the album and he's in the video. Um, and then even this quiet riot album that we're going to talk about that came out in 83 Rudy's on the album cover, but he only played on about half of it. So it's just kind of interesting that it's worked out that way that Rudy, Rudy appears probably because he's a good looking guy. They just put him on the album cover <laughs> and he's a great bass player, but it's funny the way that has worked out. There are several of these albums that Rudy's pictures on him. He never played on them, but anyways, uh, where was I going? Oh yes. So Ozzy has Randy They're They're having tremendous success, right? Tremendous success. And then in March of 1982, tragedy strikes. You know, they 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 are a couple months into their Diary of a Madman tour, be very successful. The album is selling well, and Randy Rhodes is killed. They finish that tour. I saw that tour. I saw the the tour uh, Diary of a Madman in Spokane, Washington, in June of 1982 with uh, Brad Gillis on guitar. So Rudy finishes out the tour, but in the meantime, Dubro, okay, Kevin Dubro, when Randy left, that was kind of the end of Quiet Riot. Dubro starts a new band called Dubro. Okay, it's now called Dubro. He's got a guitarist named Carlos Cavazos. I think he has Frankie Benali by then. I'm not positive. He might still have Drew Forsythe, but he's got a drummer. They're doing some stuff. They're playing locally, of course, playing Quiet Riot stuff, you know, and maybe some new stuff they'd written together. But that's the band now is Dubrow. Well, obviously, there's a lot of interest in Quiet Riot because Randy Rose had kind of built up this fame and popularity and everyone now was hearing about Quiet Riot. Here's Dubrow, you know, the quiet riot band except for randy and rudy is is playing around right so and i'm not sure how the not sure how the timeline works here but but kevin debro and his band was working on an album some trying to get an album deal and somewhere along the line uh someone smart, you know, we need to make this a quiet riot album. Right. So that's the decision that is made uh, is, is this will be a quiet riot album. And let's see. Kevin had recruited Frankie Benali, Chuck Wright and Carlos Cavazzo. And this is before Randy died. In fact, he he called Randy and says, hey, Randy, is it all right if we use the name Quiet Riot? Because the original members were, Kevin wasn't an original member. So he asked Randy if it was okay. 
So even before Randy died, he's asking, but the, there's the popularity of Ozzy Osbourne and, and I'm assuming I, I don't know. Kevin Dubro is no longer with us. I'd like to ask him this. I'm thinking a lot of that decision was based on the fact that there was kind of renewed interest in the quiet right name because of Randy Rhodes. Uh, Randy's still alive at this point, but he was, he kind of took the world by storm. If you remember, if you were alive in 1982, I mean, he was a big deal. Everyone was talking about Randy Rhodes, but anyways, he calls, he calls Randy and asks if he can use that name. And, and, uh, Randy says that's fine. He he wanted to check with Rudy first, so they asked Rudy, and Rudy was fine with it. So so now it's Frankie Benali, Chuck Wright, uh, Carlos Cavazzo, and Debro are now Quiet Riot, and they're starting to work toward an album. Now, Randy Rhodes dies in the spring. In September of 82, Randy Rhodes died in March, September of 82, uh, a producer, Spencer Proffer, helped them sign a recording contract with CBS Records, okay? And um, he, he, he recommended they record this Slade cover, Come On, Feel the Noise. And the band hated it. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to record a cover tune. We don't want to record this anthem, you know, but, but to proffer the producer to, he thought quiet riot was the, the ultimate anthem band, right. That could just make, and even, you know, metal health. It's the ultimate metal anthem, right. Bang your head. It's awesome. It's brilliant. Uh, but he, he convinced them to record this song. Come on, feel the noise. And in fact, the story goes that the band, Kevin hated it so bad that, that he, he said, well, let's just do a terrible job when we record it. Right. But what Kevin meant is he wanted everyone, he wanted everyone else to do a horrible job. He, he didn't want to be the one, you know, they all had big enough egos. They all agreed that someone was going to do a horrible job, but they basically went in and recorded it one take (laughs) and it's, and it sounded good, you know, and after they recorded, like, actually that's, pretty good and and kevin was mad at frankie because he's like frankie you're supposed to screw it up but everyone wound up playing it it good and yeah it's kind of a cheesy song but it was a massive hit right uh bang your head was the was the leadoff single and i remember i remember when that video first came on mtv i'm just sitting there it was i can even tell you it's a friday afternoon friday afternoon and i see this video come up with a guy in a padded room with the metal mask on his face. And then I saw the words quiet riot and I got goosebumps because I'm like quiet riot, quiet riot. Cause I'd been reading about quiet riot. Of course, guys, back in the day, you didn't have constant news and social media. So I had no idea that they were working on a quiet riot album. You know, I was a huge Aussie fan at the time. You know, I listened to Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman every day. I read the guitar player magazines, all the interviews I could find about Randy. He, you know, he'd just recently died. I was bummed about that. But I remember seeing this, this Quiet Riot video come on in, in 1983. And it, it was released in March of 83. So basically a year after Randy Rhodes died, Quiet Riot Metal Health is released. And I can remember seeing that 
first time I was mesmerized. I went straight, literally, as soon as that was over, I didn't have my driver's license yet. So my mom must have driven. I, that day, that day I got to the record store and bought Quiet Riot, right? I loved Bang Your Head. I mean, I played the crap out of that. Uh, and then later in August, they released Come On, Feel the Noise. And that was a massive hit. Okay. So let's go back to what's going on in England. Okay. In England, we've got the new wave of British heavy metal is starting to happen. Think of this 1983 now. So by 83, uh, Def Leppard, you know, High and Dry has come out. Uh, Pyromania might have. No, I don't think Pyromania had come out in March yet, but High and Dry had come out. Uh, we've got Screaming for Vengeance has come out. Um, Iron Maiden, uh, Peace of Mind, had it come out by then? Number of the Beast came out in 82. Peace of Mind maybe had not come out yet. I think it came out earlier, uh, you know, like in June of that year. But there's a there's a, a an upswell of interest in this new wave of British heavy metal. Meanwhile, in LA, here's this heavy metal band, Quiet Riot, has this album. And they're, you know, they're, they have contemporaries, right? Motley Crue, uh, Shout at the Devil hadn't come out, but, you know, you could see the Too Fast for Love album is out by this time. So there, there, there's some metal happening. But here's why the Quiet Riot album is so important. That album was so popular. It, it went to number one. Okay. It was the first heavy metal album to ever hit number one on the Billboard charts. Guess what album it knocked out? The, 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 the other two top albums at that time, Synchronicity by The Police Thriller by Michael Jackson. So I, I think Thriller was at number one. Um, Synchronicity, they were right all up in there and, and Quiet Riot goes in there and is number one. I think it was only at number one for two weeks, but it knocked out those two albums from the number one positions. They'd both been in that position. Uh, Quiet Riot metal band that that many people had never heard of yes the the number one album in the country the first heavy metal album to do it and you talk you talk to the bands from la of that time and they will tell you that opened the floodgate because once that happened uh it it i mean I'm sure they're facetious when they say it, but you'll hear people talking about if, if you were in a metal or spandex in LA, they were signing you. Right. And you, so think of who came, you know, right on their heels came Motley Crue and rat and Dawkin. Not that these bands weren't around. Many of them had been around for a long time, but because of the success of quiet riot, the record companies were now willing to, you know, take a shot on a lot of these, LA based bands. And so for the next two, three, four years, man, that, that was when hair metal started, right? It was, it took quiet riot to open the floodgate. Okay. 
But I think it's interesting, this relationship between Randy Rhodes, who was a California boy, goes to England with Ozzy Osbourne. And and Ozzy Osbourne was a benefactor of this new wave of British metal, even though he'd been around for a decade. They were all riding that wave of the British wave of heavy metal. It's just interesting Randy Rhodes and Quiet Riot have connections to both waves, right? The new wave of British metal and the hair metal wave of the early 80s from from LA. Just an interesting thing. The album itself, it's an okay album, right? In fact, I, I can't tell you more than about three or four songs. If I was to name songs off of it, you know, I haven't listened to it in years. I probably should have listened to it. But uh, I did mention the fact that Rudy, Rudy only plays on a few cuts. Chuck Wright plays on, I think it's about half and half. I'll have to go back and look at the track listings. But again, Rudy now, though, had some notoriety because he'd just been on massive tours with Ozzy Osbourne. He was a kind of visible, um, good looking guy, right? And it just kicked the door open for a lot of the metal scene. Now, sadly, I don't mean this as a slam. Kevin Debro had a unique voice. Uh, he didn't sound like anyone else. Uh, I think he was a good showman. But as is often the case, sometimes we're our own worst enemy, and I think that was the case with with him. Is he he talked a lot, he talked a lot. In fact, that's one of the reasons. Rudy left the band is Kevin wouldn't shut up, right? Kevin would always say something stupid, uh, you know, and, and, and while a lot of people really thought that quiet riot kicked the door open for a lot of those LA bands, Kevin would say that, you know, he would say that in interviews. Yeah. These guys, it's because of us that they can, well, that may be true, but you definitely don't want to say that. Right. And so he was a very um, cocky um, and, and was often causing the band drama they didn't need because of just things he was saying. And, and if you, anything, you know, if you know anything about Rudy, all you got to do is watch interviews. Rudy's the complete opposite of that. You know, he's very soft-spoken and, and never, braggadocious or anything like that. And Kevin Dubrow was very much braggadocious and talked a lot. Well, the reality is they released a number of albums that just weren't that good. Okay. Mental health was very successful, but I am, you know, my feelings about the album itself are kind of mixed. It's a, it's a good album. It's good. It's a solid album. But everything after that's not very good, right? And um, Kevin Debro, real big, forceful personality, strong personality. Sadly, he had some substance abuse issues, and he died from that uh, in later in the in the around 2010, I think. Um, Frankie Benali died just a year or so ago from pancreatic cancer. So the original members, well, even Rudy Sarzer wasn't original, but he's considered one of the, because he was in the band back in the seventies with Randy. 
Uh, he was in that 83 Metal Health album and then the Condition Critical album he was in there. I think by QR3, which was the follow-up to Condition Critical, Rudy was already gone. Uh, but the band continued to tour even after Kevin died as Quiet Riot with kind of Frankie being the leader. And since his death, they continue to tour now. And Rudy Sarzo is back touring with uh, Quiet Riot. Um, I've seen some footage. You know, they they sound fine. They sound, you know, it's one of those deals where it's, it's a constant uh, uh, theme. You know, how can you call the band Quiet Riot if there's only one member? Kind of like with Queens, right? Same type of deal with rat same type of thing. it goes on all the time but but the videos i've seen lately they sound pretty good you know so if you like quiet riot music and you know if you're a fan of rudy sarzo you know rudy rudy's doing his thing that he always does playing the having his hand on top of the neck you know that's kind of his trademark move and i i'm just a rudy fan i just love rudy so i i totally go see him if they came by my neck of the woods and they sound they sound fine but they hold a place in music history as the first heavy metal band to hit number one. And the reality is they open the doors for many of those LA bands. I'm not saying they're better. I'm just saying they were first and they opened the doors, you know, rat Dawkin, Motley Crue poison. You know, that whole metal thing. Oh, quite a bit. To, to the success of Quiet Riot. And I, I just think that's a little interesting connection that you got Ozzy Osbourne, who took a kid from L.A. that was kind of part of the British wave of metal. And then Quiet Riot was then kind of kicked the door open for the hair metal scene of the early 80s in Southern California. Anyways, I'd love to hear what you think. Love to hear what you think. When we're done, I'm going to go listen to the whole metal health album i should have done that before i did this just to be in the right frame of mind but i didn't do it uh and then just one last thing thank you so much for listening to the podcast uh my biggest regret is that i didn't start it when i first started listening to podcasts five years ago i thought you know it'd be kind of cool to do a, to do a podcast about classic rock. and i didn't and i wish i would have started then right uh but all i can do now is just you know, keep making episodes and, and folks keep listening, which is wonderful. And I really appreciate it. If you are able to support podcasts with a contribution of $3 a month, that means so much. And it makes such a difference, right? It's, it's the power of numbers. $3 isn't a lot. In fact, you, you hardly, I support a few podcasts. I don't even notice that the money comes out of my account yet on my end, on the receiving end, it makes all the difference in the world when you have uh, that monetary support. It allows you to upgrade equipment. It 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 just makes all the, the difference in the world. So if you are able to support the podcast with just $3, there's a $3, $6, and a $12 level. But even at the $3 level, if that's something that you could work into your budget, it's huge. Makes a big difference. And all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash classic guitar rock. And you can sign up to be a patron means a lot to us. And it makes a big difference. Thank you so much for listening, for watching. If you're on YouTube, 
And as always, you can email us, classicguitarrock.com. Check out the website, class, uh, www.classicguitarrock.com. We'll see you next time on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. <laughs> We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. <laughs>